You're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. In 2001, The Lancet published an article by Dr. Jerome Cohn entitled The ABCs of Secondary Prevention of Coronary Heart Disease, Easier Said Than Done. Fast forward six years and the ABCs are as important as ever. We are still fighting the war on heart disease. Welcome to Lipid Luminations. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Jerome Cohn, cardiologist and professor of medicine and cardiology at St. Louis University, where he also serves as the director of preventative cardiology. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cohn. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Larry. So, Dr. Cohn, how are we doing with the war on heart disease? Well, we're winning it, but we're winning it slowly, and I think we could do much better than we're doing. We've made considerable strides over the last couple of decades. The age-specific incidence rates have fallen, and mortality rates have actually come down. And so that's the good news. The bad news is it's still the number one killer in the United States by far, and part of it is something we can do something about. When I say we, I mean the practicing physicians, and it's, I don't mean just cardiologists, I mean internists and family care physicians as well. The troops on the ground. Exactly. And, you know, the wars are being fought in their offices, and collectively we can win the war in the battle against heart disease because we know the cause and we can do something about it. Well, let's talk a little bit about the current strategy that seems to be working. Take us through it. Well, the strategy I've elected to call it the ABCs of prevention, and in the article I wrote a few years ago, I called it secondary prevention, but yet we now know we can apply it to primary prevention, which really does take into account the wider population. And so I learned this as I traveled around and met the fellows and the health staff that I trained uh, years ago, and I asked them what they remembered from my lectures, and they didn't re- remember very much except the ABCs, which is a clever mnemonic. And so what are the ABCs of coronary prevention? And the, the A is for aspirin. And simple low-dose aspirin, 81 milligrams a day, has been clearly shown to reduce the rate of coronary disease, uh, morbidity, and mortality in both primary and secondary prevention. The other A is for ACE inhibition, and we know that the role of the enzyme, the converting enzyme, is important in accelerating atherosclerosis, particularly in the vulnerable plaque where we see inflammation as a result, and we're more likely to see plaque rupture in an acute event. And so we like to block that enzyme, and the trials have clearly shown benefit of, of ACE inhibition in reducing rates. Do you find any ACEs better than others? There's tissue ACE levels that differ between the ones, or do you think it's a class effect? Well, it has not been shown to be a class effect, and that's why that's an important question. The drugs that have been shown in clinical trials to reduce the rates are ramipril and perindopril in the HOPE study and in the Europa study, respectively. And those are both drugs that are more tissue-specific, and the dosage that was used was pretty high. Several other trials have been negative, and they've used either smaller doses of drugs that we don't think penetrated to the endothelium, which is where the activity of the enzyme is high and where we would like to get the drug. This is a result of, I think, either inadequate drug or a drug that was not reaching the tissue levels. And those drugs that were studied that were negative were trandolopril and quinopril. So we like to stick to evidence-based medicine and stick with drugs that have been shown to be effective. And for the ACE inhibition story, that would be ramipril or perendopril. Dr. Cohn, what about ARBs? Uh, Are we seeing any benefits from those similar to the ACE inhibitors? 
Unfortunately, we have not. There is some ARB data to show a reduction in stroke, particularly in patients who have LVH. We can show deceleration of the rate of progression of renal disease with ARBs. But when it comes to coronary events, in fact, the larger studies have all been negative, and even a recent meta-analysis shows a no benefit. So although ARBs have become popular because they're not associated with the same side effect profile as ACE inhibition, these agents are not proven to be effective, at least at the present time. So we do not use ARBs as the drug of choice when it comes to therapy that interrupts the RAAS. Can we go back to aspirin for a minute? In my office, I like the aspirin test. I, I test for aspirin resistance. As far as I know, I'm the only guy in town that does this test, and I'm wondering if you have any experience with aspirin resistance and if we should be testing our patients more. We use the term aspirin resistance in the clinical sense when we refer to patients who are taking aspirin who have an event. In that case, if they're taking low-dose aspirin, we raise the dose or we'll add another agent, such as clopidogrel or Plavix. We do not usually test for uh, aspirin resistance in the classic sense, although there are a number of tests that can be done. But the uh, clinical utility of these tests in terms of the benefits in subsequent reduction in risk has not been shown. I don't know if you found them to be effective, but we currently don't use it routinely. Let's move on to the, the B part of ABCs. Tell me what B currently stands for. Well, B is for beta blockers, and in fact, of the pharmacologic agents that we use, it's one of the earliest developed in the late 60s and into the 70s. The clinical trials clearly show that we could reduce coronary events by using beta blockers in the high-risk patient, and that is the post-MI patient. And so three drugs have been approved by the FDA, timolol, propranolol, and metoprolol, for the prevention of subsequent events. They have well-known antianginal effects and effects on reducing myocardial oxygen demand. And so for the high-risk patient, and this would be for secondary prevention specifically, we would recommend beta blockers routinely unless they're contraindicated. So the B is for beta blocker. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and I'm talking today with Dr. Jerome Cohn, the Director of Preventative Cardiology at St. Louis University. We've been talking about the ABCs of preventative cardiology. Dr. Cohn, the C could be for having Dr. Cohn as your physician, or what else could it be for? Well, the C is for cholesterol lowering. Of all of the agents that we use to try and prevent coronary disease, I think the greatest impact has come from the use of statin drugs to lower cholesterol. Initially, we used it in the highest-risk patients, and uh, subsequently we have shown over time that even lower-risk patients benefit. So we're talking not only clear evidence of secondary prevention and reduction in, in recurrent events, but also in primary prevention. This has really changed the practice of medicine. We have shown it in uh, animal studies where we can cause slowing of the rate of progression or lack of progression or even better yet, regression of atherosclerosis when we use modern technology to, to look at that, including intravascular ultrasound technology. Are you referring to the recent asteroid trial where IBIS actually did show regression using high-dose statins? Correct. It's clear that we can change the natural history of the disease. We've known it for a long time in animal studies, and it's just been recently uh, with the clinical trials and now with the more elegant studies of atherosclerosis progression, we can show that we're actually changing the natural history of disease, and that's very exciting. So if we take these ABCs, we have drugs that have been awarded Nobel Prizes. Who actually received it? With aspirin, it was a Cox story, and that Nobel Prize went to Sir John Vane in England. And for the ACE inhibition story, 
the nitric oxide generation story. A Nobel Prize was won in 1998 by a trio of, of scientists working in the U.S., and that was Forge, God, Ignero, and Murad. The beta blocker story where Sir James Black in England, his Nobel Prize was in the 80s for recognition of that work. And, of course, the cholesterol story on the Nobel Prize back in the 70s went to Brown and Goldstein for originally describing and showing the LDL receptor. In fact, that's where we see a deficiency in the highest-risk patients. So this is a Nobel Prize awarding work that's led to clinical trials. The clinical trials have been positive, and it's led to the guidelines that we have today. And so if we follow the guidelines, and when I say we, I mean the larger we of practicing physicians who see coronary-prone patients, if we apply the ABCs, across the board to these higher-risk patients, both for primary and secondary prevention, we can make a real difference in terms of reducing the risk of coronary disease. That's very exciting. Dr. Cohn, you talked about ABCs, but I, I would assume that there's more to the story. Do you have any more mnemonics or algorithms for D, E, F, and G? Well, yes, as a matter of fact. The D is for diet and D is for don't smoke. E is for exercise, and taken together, those are all lifestyle. And unfortunately, they come further down the alphabet in the algorithm. Uh, They really should go at the top of the list. So patients who are coronary prone should clearly be given the strong recommendations not to smoke or not to start if they already don't, and uh, for a prudent diet that's lower in fat and saturated fat and total calories to maintain ideal body weight or normal body weight. So those are the D's and E's that are most important. It's of interest, Larry, that we used to have E's for estrogen replacement therapy. And the clinical trials, as we know, have been negative. So that E is gone. And the other E that's changed, that's come off the board, is for vitamin E. Again, the sad fact is that the trials were negative. So then that comes down to the F's that we're working on. The first F that we eliminated was folic acid. And the folic acid studies showed, in fact, we could reduce homocysteine levels. But the sad fact, again, was that... Didn't translate into events. And so I'm fond of quoting Aldous Huxley, who said the great thing about science and the humbling thing about science is you have a beautiful hypothesis, and it's slain by an ugly fact. And the hypothesis was, yeah, high levels of homocysteine accelerate atherosclerosis. The hypothesis is you lower homocysteine, you're going to reduce events, and the sad fact was it didn't do it. So the remaining F that we're really excited about, and more and more research is is really turning to this area, is on fish oils. Uh, Fish oils have been shown to have a number of good benefits, and in a large clinical trial done in Italy, the the GC trial, it was shown to reduce coronary events, particularly arrhythmias and sudden death. Fish oil lowers triglycerides, and in fact, it may be one of the treatments of choice for hypertriglyceridemia. It also lowers systolic blood pressure, about 3 or 4 millimeters of mercury. We've shown that ourselves, and it may have a favorable effect on platelets. The large clinical trials haven't been there for either fish oil or some other agents that we're working on, but we hope to add to the algorithm as time goes by. But we surely have enough to do now in our clinical practices, and if we can just apply the ABCs across the board as well as the lifestyle changes, the Ds and Es, we will really accomplish an enormous amount in reducing coronary events in the United States. Dr. Cohn, are you a fan of the polypill strategy where we could combine the ABCs into one pill so that 
patient compliance does not become an issue anymore. Yes, the polypill strategy, at least the concept, is is a sound one to give it to high-risk patients. And in England, where it was developed by Law and Walden and the colleagues there, and I spent some time with that group, they could show a 82%, and this is based on observational studies, an 82% predicted reduction in risk by giving everyone this so-called polypill, which is a combination of the ABCs, basically, as well as statins, aspirin, and beta blockers. So it does have a broad appeal, a broad concept. You have to apply the risks versus the benefits, and in a lower-risk individual, that ratio may not be favorable. But as the population gets older, as the risk factors increase in number, it certainly is a strategy that may have a place. And we're seeing more and more medication and pharmaceuticals, which are taken together. We have a pill now used to treat both high cholesterol and uh, hypertension. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jerome Cohn. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals.